second half player in prop picks. That's what first half players that sucks. <laughs> hey, this is the second half team because they don't show up in the first half. It's your birthday. I'm tomorrow. also excited. You know about, you can't lose on your birthday. I'm mainly excited about Tom coming in <laughs> in a minute. <laughs> This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. And of course, right now features former BYU tight end legend, Super Bowl champion, and BYU Sports Nation critic, Dennis Pitta, is back on the show. Hello, Dennis. Trick or treat, Jerome. <laughs> I, had, I wanted two things for my birthday, and one of them just didn't happen. So, there I'm you go. I'm going to be honest. I didn't know it was your birthday until about two seconds ago. But tomorrow. if you think I'm getting or I'm going to say happy birthday to you, you're sorely mistaken. I, no, I'm good, man. I'm good. Please don't. Dennis, welcome back to the show. Jeremy's clearly missed you, my friend. <laughs> Mr. Musk. Oh, I know he has. I know he has, but um, no, man, happy, happy birthday, I guess. How old are you? 46, 47? <laughs> we, we were in school around the same time, Dennis, so we're very similar ages. So I don't, I don't, under, I don't understand. Really? Yeah. God, you have not aged well. That's uh, okay. That's not true. I look not a day over 26, Dennis. Come on, man. Hey, um, remember, when, <laughs> remember, remember when Gary Croton called you Dustin? And Bronco is the defensive coordinator when you were a young pup. That's I a, remember that. That's yeah, a fun, that's fun. That was fun. Very vividly. <laughs> I have told that story many a times. You know, that's a it's that's my go-to motivational speech. Yes. You know, I started at at a lowly level. The head coach didn't know my name. It was Dustin, and uh, you know. Now we're here. Now I get to talk to you two. So I've, I've clearly come a long way. <laughs> you've, you've fallen. It's been an interesting story arc up to the top and then back down to the bottom <laughs> with us. Dennis. Way down. That's yeah. right. I'm back at the bottom slumming it with you two. Yeah, exactly. You've, you've known Bronco forever because let's see your, your freshman year. He's the DC. You go on your mission, you come back. He's the head coach. All of a sudden uh, you could have left and gone somewhere else, I suppose, but you wanted to stay and be with Bronco. And then you had some, ama- some amazing years with him. How did he evolve as a, as a guy at BYU from that guy pre-mission DC to the head coach? Yeah, so when I was there uh, 2004, my freshman year before I left on my mission, um, he was the defensive coordinator. I don't think I said two words to Bronco Mendenhall. <laughs> he never said anything to me. I never said anything to him. Never had a conversation with the guy ever. You guys know Bronco. He's a man of few words. Um, and so when he was the defensive coordinator, he – had no interaction with me whatsoever as an offensive player. And so uh, he got made the head coach and I said, great. I'm looking forward to meeting him, uh, even <laughs> though he was on our team and, and the defensive coordinator through that whole year. But uh, I, I really had no relationship with him to be completely honest. So, um, but listen, Bronco was, was absolutely the right guy at that time in BYU football. And I, I, I look back at those times and I am incredibly grateful for, you know, his leadership, um, guys were held accountable. Guys were disciplined guys, you know, had to work hard. That was always his mindset. That's everything he preached. And and we did, we outworked people and and it was successful for us. And you've seen him bring that approach to, to Virginia, in my opinion, a program that needed that kind of discipline and stuff. And he's done a great job over there. Dennis Pitt is with us on BYU sports nation. And 
I know Bronco at some point at least called you by the right name, right? He, he called you Dennis. I, I can't actually confirm that. I'm not sure he ever said my name, but uh, we had more interaction as when he was a head coach than when he was a defensive coordinator, for sure. Um, I think he knows my name is Dennis, but not totally positive on that one. What's your favorite memory featuring Bronco Mendenhall in your time as a BYU football player? So, so my favorite memory, um, <clears throat> we were in a team meeting and, uh, you know, this is one that's kind of just near and dear to my heart because Bronco is not a guy that gave out compliments all that often. And I had just, we had just played Utah, uh, my senior year. We had just beaten them in extraordinary fashion. Like you guys remember the Andrew George overtime play. Um, which I'm still upset about because I was more open than Andrew on that. <laughs> yeah, play, I was going to say, why didn't you get the ball? That's yeah. for a different day. <laughs> um, and we were in team meeting. I believe it was that following Monday, right after that game. And uh, I had actually just broken the BYU receiving record. Um, you know, it's 200, my 220th catch or something like that. And Bronco um, had the game ball for me in that, in that particular um, team meeting and he handed it to me and he said, you know, we just don't remember you dropping a lot of balls. So good job. You deserve this record. Here you go. And, you know, it was just a, a really subtle compliment, but one you just didn't hear very often. And it's one that's always stuck with me. Like, ah, Bronco thought I caught the ball pretty well. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like, it's like being a little boy and your father gives you a compliment. He's always been kind of hard on you. He gives you a really good compliment and it just, completely turns your day around. And it's something that I always remember. I always remember kind of just those words he said to me in that team meeting and, and the compliment he gave me. Um, and, and I'm truly appreciative of it, but you know, that that's not saying he should have been more complimentary, not saying he should have, you know, done anything different as a head coach. I, I loved the way that he was. And uh, again, I, I, I couldn't imagine playing for anybody different. Cody Hoffman later passed you. That's the bad news. But that's cool, Dennis. Uh, yeah, Bron yeah, thanks, sir. <laughs> Not the tight end records, but yes, the yes. all-time receiving yes, records. Yes, the tight end records. Uh, Bronco's going to be back in the house. It's not just Bronco. It's Job Beck and Kelly Papinga and Robert and I and Mark Atwai and like There's like 10 other guys. What do you think that's going to be like emotionally in the stadium, not only for the BYU fans, the BYU team, which doesn't have anything to do with those guys, except for like five players who were recruited, right? And then on the Virginia sideline, they're on the other side of the field trying to beat BYU. That's got to be a weird deal. Yeah, it's going to be weird. I, I think it'll be a neat uh, experience for Bronco and, and Robert and I and all those guys who spent so much time here um, to be able to be back in Lavelle Edwards Stadium. And like you said, I nobody on the team currently really has any relationship with those guys. Um, it's really all of us past players that I think will appreciate it so much more, but those guys did a lot of amazing things at BYU to take BYU from listen. And I saw the entire evolution because I was there in 2004 with Gary Croton and things were not good in the program. I mean, there was guys getting in trouble left and right. Um, there was a lack of discipline. We weren't performing on the field. And Bronco and that staff came in and completely did a 180 with the program. I mean, they, they, they got guys out of there that shouldn't have been there, that were making mistakes off the field. Um, they instilled, like I mentioned before, 
a level of accountability that just wasn't there in the Croton era. And uh, listen, we had some amazing years. How long was Bronco there? 10, 11, 12 years? 11 seasons, yeah. You guys probably know this. 11 seasons. I mean, over those 11 seasons, there were some incredible runs, some really good football teams. And without Bronco and that staff, I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, those things are accomplished at that point in BYU football. And so, um, you know, those guys deserve a ton of credit. And, and I think now that they've moved on and, and listen, we, we love Kalani Sataki and I think the program's in a great spot now as well, but you see what that staff's able to do with Virginia and Virginia is not a high, high profile uh, football program, but you know, they're scoring points on offense and, and they're, they're disciplined and they're doing things right. And, and they're competing in the ACC which Virginia very rarely does. And so uh, you have to really tip your hat to those guys and appreciate everything that they did for BYU, especially at that time when BYU was maybe at its lowest in football. Sure. Dennis Pitt is with us on BYU Sports Nation. We were just going through all of the huge question marks we have about tomorrow's game because, frankly, we're not sure what to expect from Virginia and from BYU after both teams have played eight games. So, Dennis, what type of game do you expect between Virginia, who has a high-flying, pass-happy offense against BYU, who's more grinded out, efficient, physical, and relatively low-scoring team. What's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, the, the, each team has to really play their style. And listen, if if you guys think that Bronco and Robert and I aren't going to pull out all the stops in this game to try and get a win in Lavelle with Stadium, I, I mean, you're mistaken because they are going to do whatever it takes. I mean, I would expect, and Robert and I, at least with, you know, in, in my tenure with them, there was not a lot of trick plays. There was not a lot of, you know, flash to, to some of his play calls. But I, I would, if I'm the BYU defense, be ready for just about anything in this game because, uh, you know, this very well may be this staff's Super Bowl um, this season for them. And so I, I think BYU has to play their style. You have to be physical in the run game. You have to control the line of scrimmage. If they can control the line of scrimmage, they're going to be, they're going to be able to move the football and they're going to be okay. But you also have to be able to score points because Virginia is going to score points. And uh, you know, Virginia can move the ball with, with the best of them. And so if BYU plays their style and they control the line of scrimmage and do all that um, and consistently score points on each and every drive, you know, this is going to be a ball game, but, um, you know, BYU sputters in the run game and they have to rely on, you know, just, just the arm of Jaron Hall trying to throw the ball over the field and try to match what Virginia is doing. I think it's going to be a long day for him, but uh, I think it'll be a fun matchup to be completely honest. And uh, I'm excited to watch it. Dennis Pitta, Jeremy, I told you he would have the answers to our big mystery. Well, we'll see tomorrow. He's our super Wait, your name's Jerem? This whole time I thought it was Jerome or the- the, Jaren it is funny now that Jaron's the starter. People are calling me Jaron. It's funny. They're like, Jaron, I mean, Jaron. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> oh, Dennis, great to catch up with you, man. Uh, obviously, we wish you were up here and we're on the sidelines with us, but uh, mm. we know you'll be there with us in spirit. I will be there in spirit. Hey, Spencer, whenever it's your birthday, man, happy birthday. Hey, appreciate it. I know that. it's probably in the future, but December 11th. Just wanted to wish you happy birthday. <laughs> awesome. I, I appreciate you, brother. <laughs> You're the best. You're welcome. We'll talk You're to welcome. somebody else. <laughs> Thanks, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. See ya. Dennis. Bye. Bye. Cut him up. Get, <laughs> get him out of here. Sports Nation. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation.
This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Are we preparing for a Saturday night shootout between Virginia and BYU? Jerem, how confident are you that BYU can outlast Virginia if this game does indeed become a shootout? It's an interesting question. Um, Let's talk about it. So, BYU against Power Fives, not named Arizona. They're so bad, I'm not even going to include them in this conversation, okay? They lost to an FCS team. I'm sorry. Arizona's terrible. But they still count. (laughs) They don't in my stat, okay? Versus Power Fives, not named Arizona. 24.5 points a game, okay? In in three of those four, it was enough to win because the defense is giving up 22.8 points per game against Power Fives, not named Arizona. The defense has been really good. In fact... In, in you know the four wins, let's include Arizona in this one, 16 to 19 points allowed. Yep. That will be enough to win. That ain't happening Saturday. I don't see any way BYU holds Virginia sub-20. The question is, can BYU hold Virginia sub-30? I think the BYU football team needs to score 30-plus on Saturday to have a chance to win this thing, and they'd have a good chance to win this thing. I think the BYU defense has been underrated. I think the complaints against the defense are unmerited. Uh, yes, yards, blah, blah, blah. BYU's given up 500-plus yards one time this year to Baylor. One time. Baylor's Dude, not Virginia. Baylor's not Virginia, and Virginia's not Baylor, right? I, I think that Virginia has an amazing offense. I think they've got some, some incredible skill position players, of course, highlighted by Brennan Armstrong. And then wide receiver uh, Dontavion Wicks is one of the top receivers in the country, top 10 in all the categories that matter. Like, there are some real challenges for the BYU defense this week. But I think that they're going to play well. But the BYU offense has really got to show up, though. Because the issue with Baylor was keeping up. Okay, my I don't think Virginia's going to run the ball like Baylor ran the ball, 303 yards. That's going to be a difference. And guess what? Virginia's given up 200-plus on the ground. Tyler Algier's like excited to give this dude another 32 carries, if needs be. Keep Brandon Armstrong off the field, obviously. Turnover margin matters. BYU has not won a game yet in which it hasn't won it, so I think BYU needs to win it, obviously. But um, the BYU defense has got to show up, but to me, the offense has got to do something it hasn't really, hasn't really done yet, which is like, go crazy. Um, I don't know if BYU needs to score 40 or 50, but maybe. I don't know if it's Toledo 2016. Like, it might be one of those nights. But you got to imagine that Bronco Mendenhall and company certainly have interesting feelings going into this game, right? Robert and I wanted to be the successor and the head coach. He didn't get the gig. I'd imagine there's some negative feelings there. I'm glad you brought up turnover margin because it is kind of lost in the storylines of Virginia's high-flying offense. BYU's really stout defense. There are stars on both sides of the ball. Kalani Satake at home when he has won the turnover margin is unbeaten as a head coach at BYU. That's pretty incredible. So BYU goes time. one plus, and they win the turnover margin. Sorry, when they have not turned the ball over at all. Okay. So oh, when they haven't turned it over. So when BYU has not turned the ball over at home. If it's going to be a shootout, BYU will turn it over. Because there's you have to take risks in a shootout. You're so, not like conservative in your approach. So perhaps that leads us to our answer. Yeah. If, if BYU is unbeaten when they don't turn the ball over, Maybe they absolutely do not want to get into a shut- shootout with Virginia. I mean, so that's the, contingent on the defense. Yeah. The Cavaliers average more points per game, 37, than BYU has put up in any individual game this year. BYU season high is 35. I want to bring this up, too. Uh, sorry, no. You, you, you say your side, and then I'll have it. Okay. Yeah. So, but BYU's defense has done a nice job against some formidable offenses this season. Let's, let's isolate on Arizona State. 
We think that's the best offense that BYU has faced all year other than Baylor, correct? Yeah. Okay, other than Baylor, yeah. the best offense BYU has faced. The Sun I Devils think. scored 17 points against BYU. They averaged 31 on the season. If this game goes north of 37, advantage Virginia, but I don't think it will. BYU's drop eight scheme has shown me enough in the previous eight games that I don't think they will give up multiple explosive plays to Virginia. And those explosive plays are what Virginia has thrived on. They lead the country in plays of 30-plus yards. Mm. And it's not close. They have been so good in explosive plays. But BYU's defensive scheme, while boring and frustrating and it doesn't produce a lot of sacks, is built to not give up explosive plays. Yeah, that works. So what happens there? Again, Virginia... While they have been so good in big plays, it feels like there's going to be a statistical compromise here somewhere where Virginia is not going to score 37 against BYU, but BYU is not going to hold Virginia to under 20 points. And so I'm with you, in and I've been, saying, I've been saying it all week. The first to 30 will win this the game. The first to 30. The first team to 30 Just points. Just don't trail by 21 like we've seen historically with Virginia. You brought up 30-plus. So BYU is 20th in the country in yards, 30-plus uh, Yard plays allowed. Yeah. Only 10. Very few. Very so, few give so it up. So BYU can mitigate that and make Virginia march. Maybe they turn it over. Maybe there is a sack. I don't know. Does Virginia and Brennan Armstrong get impatient by nature because they're so used to those big plays where yes. it's like, ah, can we can we be methodical? T- two st- so boring. Yes. Two stats that I want to drop. One, Virginia hasn't beaten a ranked opponent on the road in 10 years. Okay. BYU's 25th road. Um uh, three, 10-15 start Eastern time. It's the body clock. That's late. Eastern time late. zone okay. uh, coming Who knows? west. That's tough. Two Who time knows zones how, is tough. How, like, how much of an impact that particular one would be. But then the other one is this. Virginia has played one ranked team this year. Number 21, North Carolina, and gave up 59. Can BYU get into the high 30s, the 40s, and be comfortable given those things? Certainly there are advantages for BYU. I am intimidated by... The Virginia offense, they're good, man. Like, I'm not feeling like going into the Baylor game, which early in that week I was like, I'm not feeling great about this week. It didn't turn out well. I'm not feeling that way with this one. But I could see where the BYU offense has got to do what it didn't do against Baylor, which is keep up. Yet, the defense has been better than we think this year. So both sides need to show up in this one. Ryan Rico, punt, Jake, uh, well, do your thing. Jake Oldroyd. Get back into that space where you were money. Three right? for he's, his last six. He's missed a couple, right, which is troubling. But get back in this space because guess what? Points matter in this. Let's go. And you're talking go. about ranked at the time of the game with North Carolina, yes. right? Because yes. Wake Forest is now number 13. Yes. Wake they're Forest legit, is legit. They held Virginia great to 17. Offense. Yes. Like that's a, There's a reason they're ranked that's 13. That's BYU's yes. Baylor game. Okay? Virginia's yes. Wake Forest game is BYU's yes. Baylor game. The outlier. My, the, and then the last, four, the last four wins have come against teams with losing records. So BYU is a different team than what Virginia has been playing. Our question of the day, how confident are you that BYU can beat Virginia if the game is an offensive shootout? Let's hear from you and go to Voice of the Nation. This is the Voice of the Nation on BYU Sports Nation. This response in from at Borgatier. We learned that because... We Borg- met him last night. We, <laughs> we met him last It's night. not Boris Tire. Which we've been saying for like eight years. Yes, it's Borgatier. <laughs> so thank you for the clarification in person of the trunk or tree. If we are mispronouncing your name Tell on us. the show and you're a regular, let us know. Twitter we handles seek are tough. to be correct. Social media handles for that matter. Yeah. 
All right. Borgatier says, I like Jaron Hall over Brennan Armstrong. Okay. Algier over Virginia's running backs. That one for sure. Romney and Puka over their wide receivers. That's, Don't know if well, Romney's going to play. Right. Uh, and their receivers are pretty good. Real, their receivers are really good. Yeah. No, no, no. BYUs are good, too. And definitely like A-Rod over an I. Well, listen. In a couple of those categories, the stats say otherwise. But it's not all about stats. And it's going to be about individual matchups. It's really interesting. Like, if you go on purely stats, only Tyler Algier is winning that battle. But it's not only about stats. Borgatier ends the tweet saying, after all those reasonings, I'll say yes. Yeah. BYU can outlast Virginia in a shootout. Hashtag BYUSN if you want to join that conversation. You know who's more comfortable in a shootout? Definitely Virginia. Yes. <laughs> BYU would be like, what is this? The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. For maybe the biggest mystery, at least of this day, yes. before the game, yes, 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 is what will Athletic Director Tom Homo dress up okay. as for Halloween? I got to make room for it. We're him. about to find out. Yeah. Yeah. We anticipate and wait for this day each year because <laughs> he seemingly outdoes himself every year with this costume. I cannot wait. Okay. I can't, he's about to walk in here. Now, in, in the past, we've seen the likes of Albert Einstein. How about Ernesto de la Cruz? Ernesto de la Cruz from Coco, the genie from Aladdin, the Mad Hatter. Oh. Abraham Lincoln. More like Abraham Lincoln. Voldemort was epic and downright he who, frightening. He who shall not be named, please. And last year, the Phantom of the Opera. Okay. So this year, who or what is Tom Homo? Here comes the athletic director into Studio B. We don't know what he is. I'm so excited. Oh! <laughs> it's Rafiki! Rafiki! From the Lion King! It's time! <laughs> What's up, dude? Oh, uh, I, can, I can barely tell it to you. I'm looking for one of my friends from the jungle. Yes. Cosmo the Cougar. Cosmo the Cougar. Where is Cosmo the Cougar? You gotta uh, find him. You've done it again, Tom. You outdid yourself. Tom? <laughs> I mean, Rafiki. Oh, thank you. I, I questioned. I was like, there's no way he can, he can do no, more than he's it, done. It's... And you've done it. <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. <laughs> Holy cow. Do you bring good vibes for BYU tomorrow against Virginia? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Change is good. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't hit me on the head like in the movie. Oh, yes. for those listening on BYU Radio, we, of course, are documenting this, and we'll send it out on all of our social media platforms yes. because this is incredible. Yes. This is just beautiful. How, how many hours, Rafiki, to uh, get dressed today? A whole lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> Probably felt like that. Holy cow. <laughs> I'm sure the preparation. And th months go into planning for this. Months go into planning for this. Now, hold on. Do you have next year's already picked out, or is it later you'll figure that out? Maybe... Scar. <laughs> Scar. Okay. I love it. Now, now the, new, the new thing is that he's, 
He still hasn't broken character. We're trying to get him out. He refuses. No, it's okay. Hey, if he, want, if he, if he wants to <laughs> he stay wants in to the stay tree, character, that's fine. This is the Greg Rubel effect uh, when he took on yes, Ron that Burgundy's was, role a few That was an ago. all-time performance. Yeah, that was incredible. <laughs> Did everything in Ron Burgundy's voice for two hours. All right. Okay, I know you're uncomfortable, so go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for that stick to come <laughs> down on my head. <laughs> how, how many hours for this oh, one to get this ready? This was like the costume that didn't involve me. Yeah. But putting everything together, the mask and everything with Janine and Rhonda, today was probably about two hours. Man. So, so, so today was a fast one. Today was a fast one. Yeah, two hey, hours. Hallelujah. It doesn't look like it was fast, but, you know, let's give a shout-out to Janine. We do this oh, every year. She's oh incredible gosh. in the makeup They're chair so and in costuming. Just They're amazing. So I've, I've scared a few kids today. <laughs> yeah, we have a few kids hanging out here. Me. There's one over there, <laughs> young, young tag. He <laughs> thinks that Rafiki has overtaken. <laughs> yes, it's, it's too real, yeah. Uh, how'd you pick this one? What was the decision? Well, there? I think um, I love The Lion King. And a lot of times when I get on a plane, I, I'll, I'll watch a movie, I'll read a book, and there's not enough time to watch a whole movie. So I'll jump to certain movies, and I always fast forward on Delta to the part where Rafiki is talking to... Mufasa. M- well, not Mufasa and Sorry, Simba. Simba. Sorry, Simba. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I love that part. And one day, I was just chilling on a Delta, and I said, Oh, Rafiki! Rafiki. <laughs> so as soon as I landed, I texted Janine, and I said, What do you think about Rafiki? And she says, yes, exclamation point. Yeah. Yes. Every time the Marriott Center men's basketball thing, it was like lights out. Or like, it's time. I always think of Rafiki yelling, it's time. It's time. That, so one yeah. of the things that, that I'm going to do this year is instead of having the Simba cam on the video, I'm going to get dressed up for every <laughs> home game, and I'm going to do live Simba cam. Yes. <laughs> the the Simba cam is so good. Everyone, everyone holds out their babies, and then undoubtedly students hold each other up, yeah. which is great. Yeah. Yes, you mentioned it, 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 it changes good, and there are changes happening for BYU football in the near future going to the Big 12. Uh, so perhaps uh, this is a sign of, uh, you know, this costume is just a part of all the things that are changing at BYU. Well, there's always, there's always meaning to the costume, and I've never been a, anything but a person. So to be an animal, I think that's uh, getting into. <laughs> oh, my... you were an animal oh, on Tom the football Tom field, Tom Homo, the animal. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> I was a 49er. That's a that's a gold digger. <laughs> I wasn't a lion or a jaguar or a bear, but so I'm, it's yeah. changed, I'm changing over a little bit. It's new. It changes right. good. BYU athletic director Tom Homo, as Rafiki, is with us on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, we need to ask you about uh, the big game tomorrow night, the return of your good friend Bronco Mendenhall. I know Provo. you've always wanted to comment on something serious in Rafiki. <laughs> Bronco was an animal. Yes, he, <laughs> yeah, yes, there he you is. go. A horse. That there is absolutely true. There you go. Um, what uh, what type of emotions do you expect for Bronco as he returns to Lavelle Edwards Stadium? Well, here's the thing. Uh, I don't think the closer it gets, Bronco will revert to. I'm a coach. I win yes. games. That's what we do. But I, I know working up to it for months and maybe years, it's probably something that he really doesn't want to do. Come day when he steps into the uh, into the field, everything will fall apart, fall away, and he'll want to compete like crazy. I've heard the stories of when he was at Oregon State and he came and played BYU and did and he has snow angels on the midfield when they beat us. So I know how competitive he is, yeah. but we do love him. He did, Bronco Hall did an incredible job for BYU athletics, let alone BYU football, for the whole school. And he had an opportunity to go and extend and expand his skills uh, at UVA. 
And so I think everybody is really happy that he's had success and we all like rooting for him, except for tomorrow night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it, it'll be quite the event. It'll be great. That's totally fair. Tom, we always appreciate you coming in. They, Amazing. Thanks, thanks for making yeah, this where, a spot. Where's the reveal? tour yeah. taking you after Studio B? Um, I got to find some bananas. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have to like actually work today in this? Yes. So I, I, one of the things is, I'll have a couple of meetings today where I step into the boardroom and sit down at the table and go, okay, the meeting is called to order. And people looking at me like, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> but there's things that change. And we're thinking of changing the name from the BYU Cougars to the BYU Baboons and from Cosmo the Cougar to Rafiki the Baboon. <laughs> okay. I'm sure that will go over well. Yes. <laughs> You're the athletic director. I'm you sure you can make it shots. happen. You it's all good. Shots. My man, oh. Tom Homo, Rafiki, looking fantastic. This is what we're going to do to the Cavaliers tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> the war cry has been sent out. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Thank you, Tom Homo. The best, the be- the AD of the year nationally right there. And you and the costume? Yeah, for oh, sure. Man. Darren Ravel, where are you at? Barstool Sports, where are you at? ESPN. Amazing. It's going to go viral. Amazing. It's going to go viral. <laughs> Never had Rafiki on the show before. That was new. Love it. War cry. Incredible. (laughs) Every year, dude. I'm not even sure where to go emotionally right now. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Let's welcome in our first guest of the day. She is a longtime ESPN play-by-play specialist. Beth Mowens returns to the program. Beth, we're happy to have you back on the call for Virginia and BYU, and we're ready to give you all the positive ammo you need for the Cougars. (laughs) Well, we certainly had a good time uh, and uh, some good drama in that USF game that we were there for earlier this season. So um, excited to see uh, how the Cougars are responding after a couple of losses and and then a nice win over uh, Washington State and and certainly for Virginia, still a lot at stake for the Cavs. You know, they, they play a couple of non-conference, and then uh, they're hoping that somebody can knock off Pittsburgh and, and make their pit game uh, possibly for the division and a shot at the ACC championship game. A compelling matchup to the core for sure. Bronco Mendenhall makes his return to Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Wait, what? After six years away when he took the job oh, is that, at Virginia. Is that a story? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> How do you and uh, your ESPN crew plan to handle the Bronco Mendenhall returning to Provo storyline? You know, my, my guess is uh, when we come on the air, you know, we usually have the team run outs and things like that and probably some shots of Bronco around the stadium, um, you know, saying hello to some folks and, and uh, back in a, in a place where he was real successful. And, and then I, I think, you know, once the game gets going, it's, uh, you know, the story really, I think, from the Virginia perspective is, is all about some respect. Uh, they're, they're not getting much respect from the voters in the polls. Uh, Brennan Armstrong, one of the uh, best-named college football players out there, uh, really isn't getting a whole lot of hype about the Heisman. When you look at his numbers, he actually has numbers that are very comparable to the other quarterbacks being mentioned. So I, I think they're looking for some national respect. It's been a decade since uh, they have beaten a ranked team on the road. And, and for BYU, you know, guys, I got to believe that um, – you know, the quest now is to get to that 10-win mark and uh, with, with all the chaos around college football, see if that gets them back maybe into the conversation 
for for a big time bowl and and uh, and a shot at uh, you know maybe beating USC for that Pac-12 championship at the end of the year. <laughs> We're excited about that, and we've had some fun with that. Obviously, in the past, it was hey. BYU's not a power five. We're peanut butter and jealous of the situation. Now it's, no, 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 BYU's going to the Big 12. This is preparation for that, which, Beth, I have felt really impressed by BYU's ability to play more power fives and win those games this year. BYU's preparing for a power five invite. And, you know, it's two years away, but seven power fives. BYU's already played five. They're four and one. This is the sixth. Obviously, there's a lot going into this. What have you thought of BYU's season thus far through eight games? Well, you know, I, I think that's kind of uh, one of the ironic things about Bronco coming back too. you know, he left to go to power five for a shot at some of these bigger moments. And uh, now BYU is ready to make that move to the big 12 and all, all that kind of conversation that we can have on Saturday night. Um, and the irony of BYU becoming independent. Well, now that opens up a lot more dates you know, in, in recent years to play some of these power five teams who are willing to come out to the idyllic setting um, along the Wasatch and play in one of the great venues in college football and, and take their chances on the road against BYU. They have all these power five opponents on their schedule. So I, I, I think it's been a lot of fun to see how they match up, you know, talk all over the years about how they would match up in these kind of situations. And obviously this year, They've aced every exam that they've taken, including that big win, I think, over Utah, which will stand the test of, of time throughout the course of the season. I, I, I think it's been a lot of fun to watch Algier run the football. I think it's been a lot of fun you know, to see the uh, continued maturation and different guys stepping up at the wide receiver spot year after year now in, in recent seasons. So I, I'm really looking forward to how they respond. I, I think two losses – and you sort of lose that conversation of whether they can be right there with Cincinnati and try and snatch a playoff at the end of the season. So how do they respond, you know, the, uh, the rest of the way here with maybe that 10 win carrot um, still out there at, at the end of the season is something that they're pursuing. Beth Mowens of ESPN is with us on BYU Sports Nation. She will call Virginia at BYU on Saturday night, 10, 15 p.m. Eastern. Beth, this is an interesting contrast of styles, especially on offense for Virginia and BYU. We've noted the Cavaliers throw the ball all over the field with Brennan Armstrong. They score very quickly. BYU has kind of grinded out games. In fact, they're averaging just over 24 points a game against the five Power 5 opponents. So what type of game do you anticipate is going to take place in Provo? Is it going to be pro-BYU, slow it down, more physical? Or do you feel like we're going to get into a shootout? How often have you mentioned that phrase, slow it down, BYU football? <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's, the, it's the opponent that's going to come in throwing it all over the yard. I, I think it will probably be a lot of control the clock, Tyler Algier, and then take your shots. You know, I, I still think um, that that is part of the BYU DNA, right? We, we've got, um, you know, to pick and choose our moments to throw the football, may have to score with a team that's averaging 37 points per game. But I think initially it is, you know, run the football, control the clock, keep their offense on the sideline. And, you know, as, as you take a look at the stats and watch film on, on Virginia, um, you know, again, another irony of a Bronco Mendenhall team that really the defense is not the strength of this unit. They have been very susceptible to big plays, both running and passing. So I think that's something that BYU definitely is going to have in the game plan here. Hey, let's, 
Let's run the football, see if we can gash him a time or two on the ground, and then open things up for our passing game. Should be interesting, too, because we're talking about the offenses, but BYU defensively in four in the four Power 5 wins of the five, Baylor the exception, 38 points allowed, BYU has allowed exactly 16 to 19 points. And I don't <laughs> see that happening yeah. on Saturday against Virginia. So I, I feel like BYU is going to have to get into the 30s to be able to win this. And Jaron Hall explored a little more of the run game with those injured ribs. It wasn't quite what we yeah. have seen against Utah and Arizona State. So what do you think of Jaron Hall's play and maybe what he needs to do Saturday to sort of match Brennan Armstrong? Yeah, so when we were in town for USF, of course, we didn't get a chance to see Jaron. It, it was Baylor Romney at quarterback, that uh, terrific touchdown pass he had to his brother Gunner. Um, we're hoping to see uh, Gunner as well, just from a, a fan standpoint for the rest of the country. But, you know, I, I, I really um, – think that Jaron is is doing some good things and th this is a much bigger test for um Virginia you know they they have wins over four teams with losing records they have a win over an FCS opponent so I, I don't know uh, outside of Wake Forest and North Carolina there's two awfully good quarterbacks and Sam Hartman and Sam Howell so Jaron I think would have to you know have those type of games that the two Sams had um, and I think he's quite capable of that against a Virginia defense that has been susceptible to some big plays. So hopefully he's 100 uh, percent good to go again from a fan standpoint. We, we like to see guys at the top of their game. And I think there will be opportunities both through the air and with uh, uh, his legs for Jaron to, to make some big plays. Beth, it's worth noting that when you called that USF game, BYU put up a season high 35 points. So naturally you're bringing mm -hmm. back the good mojo for the Cougars on offense, right? <laughs> I, I don't know if I have mojo to go, but I, I like to think that um, uh, we, we have uh, had a flair for the dramatic myself and Kirk Morrison and, and Don Davenport. We've had some really entertaining uh, games and, and some uh, opportunities to do some nail biting in the fourth quarter for fan bases. <laughs> and it's interesting because Virginia has had the same thing, Beth. They've lost two or won yeah. two games where Miami and Louisville missed field goals that they probably should have made. Otherwise, Virginia's sitting here at four and four, and maybe the narrative is a little different. Instead, it's two six and two teams trying to prove something and finish the season on a high note. And obviously, the Bronco, and it's not just Bronco; it's like eight or nine other dudes on the staff, right, that we're all familiar yeah. with and love, coming back to Provo. This is rich in storyline. Yeah, and I believe Lavelle's grandson, right, Matt, is yes. is with the Virginia staff. So um, even a little bit of family involved, which. I think is a great backdrop. You know, I was reading some stuff uh, locally there in Provo and, and uh, the reception should be a good one for Bronco, at least initially and until uh, kickoff. And, and then it's an opponent over there on the other sideline. So um, always, I, I think, you know, on the coach more so than the players, um, what kind of emotions you have when you go back to a place where you've had tremendous success. I think Bronco only knows a couple of the guys that he recruited um, on the BYU side before they headed off on their mission. So uh, I think for the players, it's, it's all about on the field. It's BYU a shot at another power five win, keep that train rolling, um, you know, with a couple of, uh, of opponents that they should be able to beat in the, in the next coming weeks in Virginia, just a massive moment for their entire program with Notre Dame and Pittsburgh, you know, the next two on the schedule, I, I think it's really going to be about the football. Maybe Bronco's a little emotional when he walks back out on that field initially, and then it's uh, 
and then it's down to business. ESPN play-by-play specialist Beth Mowens is with us on BYU Sports Nation. If you had to pick a matchup battle from one position group to the next that intrigues you the most, what is it going to be for this game between Virginia and BYU? You know, I I think uh, probably looking at at things statistically, this is a very good Virginia um, offensive line, very experienced, but they've, they've given up sacks, obviously, with a team that throws the ball a lot. And BYU has not been able to muster the sacks in the last couple of games. So I'm going to put it on the offensive line for Virginia and the defensive line for BYU. The Cougars, I think, have to get creative with how they can get some pressure on the on the left-hander, Brennan Armstrong, and make things um, much more difficult for him to find his receivers downfield. Beth, we appreciate the time as always. It's great to catch up with you, and we look forward to your call on Saturday night. Go find that mojo with you and Kirk. Bring bring the high scoring back to Provo. <laughs> Thanks, Spencer. Thanks, Jerem. Appreciate it. You got it. Beth Moans of ESPN on BYU Sports Nation. She's always ultra prepared. She's one of our favorite interviews on the show. Looking forward to her call on Saturday night. Yeah, she does a really nice job. And the, uh, the last interview she had with us, I want to say was last year, and she had these amazing barn doors. Yes. In her that's, house. That's right. And I'm just really missing that after that. No, that, she's great. It's going to be fun Saturday. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Mike, thanks for coming in uh, You know, on a moment's notice to discuss a man that uh, you spent a lot of time with, especially in the latter part of his life. But uh, what are your initial thoughts uh, upon hearing about Glenn Tuckett passing away and what he meant to BYU? Yeah, I mean, I think my, my, my first emotion was obviously sadness. Um, Coach Tuckett was out at, out at the field last Wednesday. I had a chance to talk to him for about 30 minutes, and it was, um, it was nothing about baseball. He was talking to me about Taylorsville and, you know, where I grew up and, and him grow him at West high school. And then, and then Murray and, and uh, just, it was, it was kind of an interesting conversation. Then he watched, he watched a little bit of a, of our scrimmage, but I, I think the thing that I think about the most is how he has impacted people on a personal level from the sixties when he was coaching here all the way through our team. I mean, he would get with our guys, um, with Andrew Pintar, um, get him in the hallway, and he goes, "Now tell me about your mom and dad." And like he would just ask those questions that most people don't ask. Most people would go, "Hey, you got a great swing, you know? Hope you hope you are great in pro ball." Doesn't even that didn't even come up. It's like, you're, you know, you're a good guy. I love the way you carry yourself. Tell me about your parents, and so just the impact he he's had on so many many people, and, and myself included. You called him Coach Tuckett. He hasn't coached here since the <laughs> '70s, but like you're saying, he has been a coach for a long time, and it sounds like he's was still coaching until the last couple of days. Yeah, he 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 definitely was. Uh, I felt like every time he would come up to our practices every at least once every month. Sometimes when he was feeling good, he would it would be every other week, and I would see him come up on the first base side, and he just stands there and watches. And I I would always go over and talk to him, stop what I'm doing, and go talk to him. Um, and then we would go to lunch every once in a while, and he would always get he loved JCW. Uh, he would get a grilled cheese. Uh, he would get a, a small milkshake, chocolate, um, and we would just talk. and And he would question me about practices and why I'm doing certain <laughs> things. And and you know, like we have a drill, a uh, bunt defense drill. And he goes, "Why do you have all five of your catchers doing it? Why don't you just put in the two that that are going to play in the game?" And I'm like, "That's probably a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought about that." 
Um, but yeah, he, he, it's amazing how he could watch a game and he would come out and go, now is this, this kid, he looks like he does this. And he would, he, even, even Wednesday, it was like, I need to meet him. I, uh, one of our pitchers, I need to meet him. Um, I noticed he did this and this, and he was, he could talk detail about baseball till, till the very, very last day. Mm. I always appreciated, uh, when I'd see him at baseball games and, uh, I, in fact, a recent memory, I was crossing the street in front of Miller Park with him, and um, he paid me a compliment on the broadcast, and that one always stuck with me. Yeah. You know? And, and uh, the people that are with him say, hey, don't take that lightly. He doesn't offer those uh, very <laughs> yeah. often these Trust days. me, I got the opposite <laughs> I critique, said, as I mentioned last okay. segment. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, just really appreciated the interactions I had with him. And, you know, you're in the presence of a legend. Yeah. It, and it's hard to overlook that when, when you're talking with him. Uh, but I know you're full of, of great Glenn Tuckett stories. In fact, uh, we were told that, he was uh, consistently upset with you for one reason or another. Uh, can, <laughs> yeah. let, let's dive into that a little bit. Well, the first thing was when he, when I first got the job ten years ago, he he came in and I dressed like I like I dressed coaching. I shorts and I'm ready for practice, you know. And I, we're doing office stuff and um, and he, he came in. He goes, well, when I you know when I coach, we had to wear a coat and tie. And we he goes, what what time do you teach your classes? And I said, well, I don't have to teach, you know, because Coach Pollins, when I was here, he had to teach as well, coaching baseball. And he goes. You ought to go talk to, to Tom and Tom Homo and, and see if you can teach coaching baseball. You should be teaching that class and wear a coat and tie. <laughs> like, so every time he would come to the field, I'd go, man, I should have just brought a coat and tie just, just so I can see him come and, and put a coat and tie on. But, You're out there on, oh the, my on gosh. the field. Uh, the on the mower, yeah. <laughs> but um, he, he was. It, you hit it right on the head. It's, it's being in the presence of a legend, and, and you're afraid to do like – anything wrong because you know that watchful eye is, is looking over you and my first story with coach Tuckett actually was when he was the athletic director here and I was a player I turned my I was on tuition and books and should have been on a lot bigger scholarship but that's all I was on <laughs> and uh, I, I turned him we had a deadline to turn in our books if you don't turn in your books you don't get them the next semester I didn't turn in my books for some reason probably because I just you know procrastinated busy hitting dingers yeah exactly there you go um and so I went to coach Pullins who was my coach and he set me up on this one but I said, hey, I just for some made up made up an excuse why I didn't turn him in, and he goes, go talk to Coach Tuckett. So I opened his door. I think he had back in the day. He in the '80s he had one of those buttons where he just opened. Well, Bella Glenn the had the button, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. I'm getting a button in my office, by the way. <laughs> but he, I said, I coach. You know, I turn my and he goes, well, what's what what does the rule say? I said, well, you turn him in on this day. He goes, that's your answer. And I'm like, okay, goodbye. And that's how he was. So when he, when you say he didn't get, didn't offer you a compliment, he was such an honest guy, yeah. but such a loving guy, and, and yeah. you know, such, uh, I mean, he, such a people person. Hey, we were talking about his legacy in terms of like the whole athletic department, and then football. BYU wins a national championship and has a Heisman while he's here. I mean, and it wasn't just football; it was getting Miller Park built. You yeah. know, eventually after his uh, you know time was up, he was essentially the emeritus AD. He still could walk around and, yeah. and talk and interact. And, you know, Lavelle was the interim head coach uh, after he was retired. Right, yeah. It was great to have him around still offering that. Any other stories that stick out from, from his life as a oh, gosh. coach or AD? Well, Two he, College World Series as a coach is yeah. the standard, right? Well, we had – so September 10th was our alumni weekend, and we had um, the uh, – Mike, Mike Staffieri was one of the members of that team, and – I mean, gosh, I could go down the line. Mike Fulcher, Brad Bevan, who coached against me when I was in high school. These we had the the 50-year anniversary of the 1971 World Series team, who I think they ended up um, they lost to Harvard, but that's the last team from BYU that went to the World Series, and uh, they had 13 or 14 members of that team and the and um, spouses and that hadn't passed away. I mean, those guys they're in their 70s, you know, and 
they the stories that were they were telling about Coach Tuckett, not about baseball. It was it was after uh, you know my my son had cancer and he he called and he sent he sent me a note. Um, my daughter got married and and he sent me a note. It was very and that's I mean I think that was, those are the lasting things that people remember about him. I mean we think because we're in the baseball world, his his pictures on the outfield fence. I mean if you're a coach, that's your goal to get your you know. Do, do such a great job that they put your number or your face out, out somewhere, you know? And not for a personal... That just means that you, made, a, you made an impact. Yes. Yeah, you made an impact. Yes. And so not only is his name out there for, for the baseball, but that's that's such a small portion of what he's done, not just at BYU, but, but um, impacted lives for, for, for literally 70 years. Mike Littlewood, the head baseball coach at BYU, is with us on BYU Sports Nation. We're remembering Glenn Tuckett. I just can't get over what he was able to accomplish not just as a baseball coach, but as the athletic director with so limited resources yeah, in yeah. Provo. I mean, we look around and BYU is spoiled right now, beyond belief. And it will be even more spoiled in the Big 12, yes. right? There will be you more know, money. And I'm glad that he got that information before he passed on that BYU is going to be a member of a Power 5 conference because he laid the groundwork for something like that in he, a major he way. Did. Yeah, and I think not only Coach Tucker, but everybody, Lavelle, and uh, I mean, just you can go on and on and on, and, and, and Coach Homo talks about this. Um, you call him Coach Homo? Anybody because who, he was anybody the, who coaches, coach. I, I feel like that's the respect thing. You, nice. you call him Coach. I've, all, I've just always done that. I've never called one of my coaches by their first name. Um, but you know, I, I think everybody who's come before has laid the groundwork for this. Um, but you know, coach Tuckett goes to Alabama and does the great things. No, nobody really thinks about all those, those things that he does. They just think about the great things he did on the baseball field. But those who know him truly know what kind of a guy he was. And, um, I'll, I'll never forget him. I mean, I, when I got the call, Shannon, his daughter called me, left me a message this morning, um, that he had passed away and, and, um, he, his wife Joe passed away a few years ago, and he he would tell me all the time. He's he's like I'm I'm still lonely, you know. And so to have them reunite, man, what what is better for Coach Tucker? The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Here comes Virginia, Jason. You just mentioned that BYU back in the rankings, number 25, 6-2, and two, and facing a 6-2 and two UVA team that has one of the most explosive offenses and one of the most prolific quarterbacks in the game to this date in yep. 2021 in Brennan Armstrong. Maybe that is uh, where you're going to go to answer this question, but I'll ask it regardless. Who needs to have the bigger day for BYU to beat Virginia? The Cougar offense in a shootout potentially? Or the BYU defense slowing down that Virginia offense we just talked about? Because Virginia's offense is so dynamic and Brennan Armstrong is so efficient, I think the side of the ball that has to have the bigger day is the defense. And and they have got to find a way to slow down Brennan Armstrong and the Virginia offense. Let's just – just focusing on Brennan Armstrong specifically. These These are national ranks. Second in passing yards a game. In pa- yeah, second in total offense, fourth in completions per game, fifth in points responsible for per game, and fifth in passing touchdowns. This is a guy that can destroy defenses. So for me, and I know that sometimes you say, okay, it, it's a broad statement to say you've got to, you've got to put pressure. Okay, everybody knows that. But beyond just putting pressure, I think BYU's defense – 
And again, they're hurt. We know they're hurt. They're ha- they're being forced to use depth because of injuries. It's a lot to ask uh, uh, that a side of the ball that is dealing with so many injuries. We heard we heard Lopa talking about it. Almost everybody on the defensive line is hurt at this point. So I, I realize that it's it's a tall task, especially when you're going against an offense like this. But beyond just getting pressure, I think they've got to get to Brennan Armstrong. They've got to make him feel their presence around him, make him completely uncomfortable because it, with a guy that is this efficient, if you can make him uncomfortable and make a mistake, yeah. that changes everything. And with BYU's offense right now not scoring a ton of points, certainly doing enough to win six out of eight games, you know, but with them not scoring 35, 40 points like we saw maybe last year, I, I think the defense has got to bring the average – of Virginia down, and right now Virginia's averaging uh, just uh, almost 38 a game. Yep. You got to you got to bring that closer because right now BYU's offense is averaging 26. So I think it's the defensive side. Okay. To your point in the defense, looking at the roadmap of teams that have played against Virginia, there have been two, really one in large part, that have muddied the waters for the Virginia offense, and that was Wake Forest. Wake Forest is currently ranked number 13. They're undefeated in the ACC. That's a legit team. So that's one of Virginia's losses. They held Brennan Armstrong and Virginia to under 20 points. It it does not happen. No, it does not. (laughs) does not happen. But they muddied the waters. They made things cloudy. I mean, he's had clear skies with that offense, right? They made it cloudy for him, and Virginia was finally slowed down. So I'm sure that Elisa Tuiaki and BYU are looking very closely at just how Wake Forest disrupted Brennan Armstrong and the Virginia offense. I don't know if BYU has the bodies available to do what Wake Forest did, though, because they play a different defensive scheme. And so when you say you got to pressure Brennan Armstrong, there are different ways to create pressure and make things weird for a quarterback. And BYU, if they go with a three-down lineman set, probably will do because of necessity again, because of the lack of healthy bodies on the defensive front, they're going to need the linebackers and their pass defense to make things uncomfortable for Brennan Armstrong. So hopefully BYU is able to create a scenario where they can put some pressure on him, make him feel impatient. Yes, and that's what it is. We, we hear pressure, and I think some people equate that to the pressure means sacks. It doesn't always mean sacks. You certainly would love sacks, but it, it means speeding up a guy, getting him into an uncomfortable situation, putting him in a situation where he may make a mistake. Yes. That's what pressure means. Virginia leads the country in explosive plays down the field. And by explosive plays, if we quantify that, it's – you know, plays of 20-plus or more yards. Like, they lead the country, and it's not close. They dominate the country in that statistical category. BYU, if they drop eight, are clearly going to try and stop those explosive plays. Can Brennan Armstrong and Virginia be methodical and boring and patient enough? It's going to be hard to do that in the moment when you're so used to just pushing the ball down the field, and they have great receivers. That That's the challenge for BYU is – Muddy things, cloudy things up defensively, dropping a ton of guys into coverage and preventing those explosive plays. Just maybe Brendan Armstrong gets a little impatient and is like, I can fit the ball into that window. I think my receiver is just better than the BYU defense. And then maybe that's a scenario where BYU's defense can create some chaos and some pressure. So you're right. This isn't the week to expect a ton of sacks from BYU football. In fact, the rest of the season, as long as BYU is playing three down linemen against five offensive linemen, and Max Pro, yeah, the, the numbers don't add up to a ton of sacks anyway. Yeah, you got your guys being double teamed, yes. or sometimes triple teamed. This is not a scenario where you should expect BYU to come up with a ton of sacks, but you can still put pressure 
on an offense in other ways. Like the chaos theory involves a lot of different things. Okay, so I hear you, and I feel like there's really no wrong answer in this. Which Agreed. side needs to have the bigger game? Yeah, the defense needs to play well because they're going against the best quarterback they've seen all year. And BYU's seen some good quarterbacks, including Jaden Daniels of Arizona State and uh, Delora of Washington State. He's a good quarterback as well. Brendan Armstrong is on another level. Uh, he's this, this guy's an absolute gamer. But I don't think, regardless of how well the defense plays, Jason, like I feel like Virginia's they're going to get theirs. They're going to score at least 28 or at least 30. If BYU holds Virginia to 30 or fewer points – then I think they've had a very successful venture. Well, they like I said, they average 38. If you can keep them to 30 or under, that is because that's big. Because only one team has done that, Wake Forest, and it was a loss for Virginia. Now, BYU's offense has not been great against Power 5 competition. They have one knockdown, drag out. I mean, they've been efficient. Yes. And they've had at times explosive plays. They've been opportunistic. But overall, BYU is not a high-flying offense. They're efficient and methodical and physical, I think BYU has to score 30 points to beat Virginia. It is, it, it is the first to 30 will win this game, which brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. BYU, their scoring high against the Power 5 team this season, Jason, is 27 points at home against Arizona State. Through five games against Power 5 competition, the Cougars are averaging 24.4 points per game. It's over the Bronco Mendenhall 24-point threshold, but for Virginia, you probably have to score 30. I, I just don't, I can't, I can't see a scenario where BYU is able to muddy or cloudy up the game enough against this capable of an offense to be able to score 24 and win this game. I, I'd be shocked if 24 is enough to win this game, I think BYU has to get to 30 to beat Virginia. Well, and I think that's where the defense could come into play here. If if BYU can get that pressure and force some mistakes, if the defense can somehow get a turnover, if you can get points from your defense, that's you know obviously the goal, certainly. But if you can get a turnover, like we saw in so many of these other games, where BYU gets a turnover and it gives... BYU's yeah. offense, a short field to go down and score. Stuff like that can go a long way. So I think that that also plays into to my, my side of the argument in terms of the defense needing to have the big game. Beyond it, forcing some turnovers and maybe, you know, pick six would be great. Forcing a turnover deep in, you know, in, in their own territory. Getting that kind of stuff, giving your offense maybe an easier possession to be able to score points as opposed to having to go 80, 90 yards to score a touchdown. Guess who's back? Broncos back, and how do we feel about it? Jerem, we are going to play a number of uh, sound bites from the former BYU coach, and then, as we do often on the show, we're going to react to everything he said yesterday. So Bronco mentioned he didn't want to play the game initially, but uh, time passes, it makes it uh, a little easier, as he says right here. I can't say that I'm at ease, right? But once it was clear that the game was going to be played early on, then, yeah, it was going to be played. And, and so it's six years, and, and that you know, time is, is, uh, adds perspective, and it also sometimes has your heart grow fonder, but also times it allows separation. And so sometimes it just takes time. All right. It takes time. Uh, time heals all wounds, right? Yeah, initially he didn't want to play the game. I get it. It was awkward. Guess what? There's a handful of guys... 
you know, three to five that he signed or recruited, right? Jaron Hall is one of them. Uriah Leatow is one of them. Neil Pau is one of them. So, yeah, there are a couple guys, but it's not as awkward now. It's been six years. You get over it, you know? People get divorced. You get over it. That's a long time. And I think that it kind of snuck up on some people. Wow, it's been six years since Bronco left? It feels like, I don't know, three, four, not six. BYU was supposed to play Virginia in 2019, and Bronco and Virginia successfully pushed that game back to 2021. Maybe he needed some more time to compartmentalize things. I don't know. But, yeah, six years is enough time to move on. Like He's gone to an Orange Bowl and won an ACC Coastal Championship. And thank Clemson for that Orange Revamped Bowl. that yeah. program. Like, a lot has happened in six years. And the return game, by the way, is uh, you know 2023. And then is it is it a two-for-one? BYU will be here again at 25? What am I? Yeah, anyways, I'll have to look up the details there. but And we'll see what happens in 2025 when BYU is a member right. of the Big 12. Right. And B- 23 for that matter. BYU has to figure out some things, right, with non-conference still. Okay, so naturally... Uh, yeah, it, it's been six years, but there were many great memories for BYU football oh, yeah. under Bronco Mendenhall that no BYU question. fans no. hold near and dear to their heart. And many are wondering what kind of reception Bronco is going to receive when he returns to Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Well, Bronco said he can control what – all he can control, rather, is what he's doing to prepare for the game. I really can't control um... – what kind of welcome I do or don't receive, but what I can express is gratitude. And and that's what I intend to do and then do the very best I can to prepare my team so they can have success and continue on the goals um, that we have for this program and, and this team this year. Bronco and Virginia, 6-2, and two, like BYU, just outside the top 25. The Cougars, of course, number 25. This has become not just a compelling matchup because of the ties to Bronco Mendenhall, but because Virginia's been playing some good football. And, oh, yeah, there, there's this game too, right? Yeah, the game is fun. And it's not just Bronco. There's like eight dudes on the staff. It's still Nick Howell, Robert and I, Mark Atuai, Jason Beck, uh, you know, Garrett 2J, all those guys. Like, there are others. Matt Edwards. There's like two others I'm missing. But I, I love all those guys. Those guys are still homies, um, which is great. You know, they won't be homies for like three and a half hours. But then after the game, you, you hang out, right? It is a two-for-one, by the way, that BYU got two home games for. The, is this the only Power 5 series BYU's ever had where they did two-for-one? Home? Tom Homo secured like, that, what? I believe, when Bronco Mendenhall was still the head coach at yes. BYU. Yes, I think so. And it was like <laughs> way out, right? So, yeah, we'll see what's actually played with this. I would think that Virginia would want that return game in 23 at a minimum. But uh, we'll see what BYU does with the Big 12. Yeah. And when Bronco says that he wants to express his gratitude – I've always taken Bronco at his word. I feel like he is a very, very genuine person. And um, I don't think he says things that he does not mean. Oh, no. He's like, Bronco, I I think this is Bronco's second best job possibility. I'm not talking Virginia. I'm talking football coach. I think first would have been general in the military. He's just very direct, direct, strict, command. Like, I I think that the end game for him should be to be at one of the service academies. Air Force, Navy, or Army. Honestly, maybe he just replaces fellow member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Kenny Amatololo, one day at Navy or something. He just fits in that, right? He wants to run a program that way. BYU has a spiritual, militaristic element to it that I think like was in line with the way he rolls. He wrote a book a few years ago, right? Um, 
and I thought it was going to be a BYU football book. It was a like business leadership yeah, book. It's about wrapped life. in the bacon of BYU football, which was interesting. So, okay, Klanis Take also feels Bronco Mendenhall should get a warm welcome Saturday. I think everybody can handle it however they they want, but uh, I would hope fans would just be thinking about uh, the energy, the time, the sacrifice, the hard work that Bronco and his staff uh, did here, and how it deserves. Um, it deserves great gratitude and appreciation and love. Think about all of the beloved players that came through BYU football during the Bronco Mendenhall era, and a couple that he specifically recruited, Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams. That's quite the tandem among right others. there. Yeah, among yeah. others. I'm There's just, a gajillion, like, yeah. Jamal is a beloved character. Jamal Williams and his family committed to BYU because of Bronco Mendenhall. They they liked the structure that you just talked about. We li- can you imagine BYU without Jamal Williams at this point? He means so much to the fan base. Uh, and I, it's not surprising to see all of Bronco's former players come out, be vocal on social media about what he means to them. Cameron Jensen and David Nixon, Brian Keel. I mean, so many people have taken to social media to let their voices be heard about, hey, Welcome him back with open arms. It doesn't have anything to do with who you root for to win the game, but before the game, who's, when you have the opportunity, who who who's doesn't rooting against? Who him? doesn't want who do, to? Who who is up? I, I like. I feel like we're making something uh, talking about something that isn't there. Everyone should be applauding Bronco. Like I don't think there'll be a, there shouldn't be a single boot. Yes, he left. It's been six years. Get over it. I don't think it's like, about that. I think people at times were frustrated with Bronco Mendenhall and. And there were some naysayers for sure when he was With what? here. Because it was eight or nine wins, which we look back now on and we're like, listen, there have been some sevens here. There was a four. You know what I mean? Like Bronco never dipped to a to four. Bronco never dipped to. You know what I mean? It takes time to build a program. He pulled BYU out of the cellar of three consecutive losing seasons. Yes, and he he did it with Gary's guys initially. But yes, like they it's. Interesting weaving, right? Of Gary the couldn't win with Gary's guys. Gary didn't win with Lavelle's guys initially, and then <laughs> the 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 cupboard was a little bare at the end there with Lavelle. Um, and then Gary, you know, it didn't go well. And then Bron- blah blah blah. You build off what you have, and then it takes a couple years. Now that we're in like year five and six, we've seen what Klein Satake can do. It takes a sec, right? With Bronco Mendenhall, it took a sec, um, but it was pretty quick actually. To year two, he got eleven wins. And then 11 wins, and then 10 wins, and then 11 wins. Lavelle Edwards never had 43 wins in a four year span. Bronco Mendenhall did. And Bronco Mendenhall navigated BYU into uh, independence. And then now BYU's headed to the Big 12, which Bronco said yeah. he was pushing hard. Yeah, understandably, Bronco Mendenhall, <laughs> having invested so much into that first go around when BYU was making a play for the Big 12. He's got some emotions there, and he was asked about now that BYU is in the Big 12, how he feels about it. I was probably the most aggressive in the push for the Big 12 uh, in my time, and and probably probably told to tone it down a little at some point. Um, but I, I thought it would be the exact right fit, the exact right match. And besides planting seeds, I was trying to harvest seeds at the same time, and so I'm just I'm glad that. Um, there has been some realignment and that BYU is acknowledged. Um, and I think it's great for the institution. I think it's good for college football. And, and it was, um, man, did I want that to happen bad when I, was, when I was there and to see it finally come to fruition. Yeah, pretty cool. When BYU was first being researched at length, 
to get into the Big 12, it was largely the Bronco Mendenhall era that preceded that. Well, it was. It was the summer right? after he left. So it's it was twenty sixteen. What he did with BYU was what was being examined football wise, and as we pointed out, we think that that was really, really impactful in the Big Twelve this go around. Saying, "Look, we already know what we're going to get with BYU, right?" Because of the research that we did in twenty sixteen. Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, it was Lavelle and Bronco, right? It was it was the whole thing. Um, but <laughs> I am a little amused by that. Like, yes, of course, like. But that's like me as a six-year-old saying, hey, we should live in a bigger, better house. It's like, that's not in our control right now. I, I understand that that would be a good thing, but that's not. Like at the time, you couldn't control whether it would go to the Big 12. Of course, saying that. No, I, I get it. Of course. Yes, we wanted to be in a Power 5. BYU didn't want to be an independent that long, and they just didn't want to be in the Mountain West. BYU wasn't seeking independence. They were seeking the next best thing, uh, which happened to be independence, right? So that, that is a little funny to me. <laughs> you know what I think? BYU should be in the SEC. You know, and then in 20 years, they're in the SEC. See, I, I was the one saying hey, no. But you got to give him credit for uh, getting to the point where his superiors are like, okay, bring it back, reel it back in a little bit. You know, I mean, he was very uh, outspoken about it for a little while. That's not a thing you can control. Us. And <laughs> you have to be invited. It's all good. Our question of the day. You think the ADs were like, oh, that's, we didn't think of that one. <laughs> that's a good idea. Maybe that was the case. <laughs> They didn't know. They're like, which conference? Oh, yeah, that'd be a great idea. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear are what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. We are now pleased to welcome in former BYU quarterback, a man who led the Cougars to a 10-win season back in 2011, Riley Nelson, now the color analyst for BYU football on the radio side with Greg Rebell. Riley, great to have you with us. How are you? Great to be on with you today. By the way, guys, I wish I were creative enough to have, you know, done these Halloween, but I have two sons whose birthdays are both within a week of Halloween. So it's been party week all week for us, and uh, hence the balloon arch with bats in the background. And we uh, we hear in the background uh, things a little. Uh, we can appreciate look, that. Look, as fathers, we understand yes. what's happening right now. If there's going to be any audience in the country that can understand crying babies <laughs> in the background, or um, I, I hope he doesn't come pull my computer off the desk or my mischievous two-year-old that I'm seeing right past my computer, it's going to be the BYU. But um, yeah, no, a, a rare work from home. You can see why work from home works very well for most, but people with a, a, a two-month-old, a two-year-old, and a four-year-old, it's not the ideal scenario, but it happens to be mine today. So thanks for working with me. Hey, yeah, totally get it. Totally understand that. Riley Nelson is in the heat of battle with us on BYU Sports Nation. Bronco Mendenhall, your longtime coach and uh, a man that you hold in uh, very high regard, makes his return to Lavelle Edwards Stadium for the first time in six years since he left BYU for Virginia. What does Bronco Mendenhall mean to you as a former BYU football player? Uh, I mean, I outside of like my dad and grandpa and um, you know, he's in, he's in kind of that next, that non-family where I think uh, a lot of players, you put your high school coach in there, 
for those that went on missions, I'd put my mission president in there and I'd put, you know, Bronco in there as far as he's on the short list of men who had an immense impact in my life, who continue to, I continue to, you know, it's really important to me to keep a relationship up with and, and to do all that. So that's what he means to me personally. What he means to the program is um, there was, you lost one of the legends, not just of BYU football, but of college football, right? And Lavelle Edwards. And the program met some severe uncertainty, uncertainty that it hadn't known in decades. Um, uh, obviously, you know, I'm, as, you, as is well documented, the, the Croton era, which ended um, and had a lot of BYU football fans questioning what the future of the program was. And uh, of course they hired Bronco Mendenhall who definitely wasn't the sexy pick um, probably wasn't the first choice of many fans, but he was able in, in short order to restore that level of that standard of excellence that BYU had become such accustomed to and not only uh, reestablish it, but then sustain it over the course of his career there. So uh, he means the world to me. And uh, I think is, has significant meaning for, BYU athletics and BYU football. You know, Riley, I don't know what or if BYU has anything planned in terms of a pregame for Bronco, if they'll do anything. But, uh, you know, there's been a lot of discussion this week. Or how will you respond when Bronco is there? I, I will be very, very surprised if there's anything other than just cheers and applause for a lot of the reasons that, that you brought up. I mean, all Bronco did while he was here was win. I, I expect a... I don't know. I don't know if we get a standing ovation, but I expect uh, certainly uh, nothing but applause come Saturday. Normally, when a player leaves uh, and then and then comes back and get and does not and receives an unfavorable reception, it's because the manner in which they left was was somehow you know it it, it inspired certain negative feelings. I don't think that was the case for. I mean. If we all, if the majority of fans want to be honest, the and and maybe this is a little bit revisionist history, but as I remember it, most people, most BYU fans were kind of saying, you know what, this time with Broncos run its course. So it's not like he left while all the fans were begging him to stay. It's not like he left in some kind of backhanded or, you know, abandoned his team in the middle of a season or like when the uh, Colts left Baltimore, you know, with semis in the middle of the night. He, he left on good terms. Uh, his time at BYU had kind of run its course with the fan, at least for me, kind of, I felt like with the fan base and he went on to bigger and better things and BYU was on to bigger and better things. So he should get, uh, you know, he should be uh, treated appropriately upon his return. I, I can tell you this though, from knowing Bronco, I know he would prefer that there be zero fanfare. He is all about the competition. He's all about the game of football and, uh, you know, the, the kind of sappy, um, you know, emotional aspect of football is, is not uh, what he cares for much. So if he can avoid it at all this weekend, he would prefer to. Well, and, and Riley, beyond just Bronco, I mean, you know, it's obviously well documented how many former coaches, former players are on that staff. I mean, this is an opportunity. Look, at the end of the day. Everybody wants BYU to knock off Virginia and send everybody home with a loss. But it's an opportunity for not just Bronco, but all these former players and coaches to be able for, for the fans to be able to say, hey, we appreciate everything that you've done for this program. 
if for nothing else, the number of X players, Robert and I, X player, Kelly Papinga, X player, Jason Beck, X player, Shane Hunter, X player, right? These are all guys who donned the Y on their helmet and gave it their all and were significant, were meaningful contributors to the teams on which they played uh, that are now all part of that Virginia coaching staff. And um, these are, these are our own. And if nothing else, I mean, we should be happy, at least for me. I shouldn't, I, I'm not going to advocate. I'm not going to tell anyone how else to feel, but I think one of the main marks of how significant a program or relevant a program is, is how widespread are they? Um, and BYU for the longest time, it's, we've kind of been a, a little culture unto ourselves. Yeah, Andy Reid goes off and does his thing. And we've had some assistants that made stops at BYU, but often those native BYU guys stayed at BYU. We should be applauding those that picked up, went all the way to the other part of the country um, where, you know, BYU is not very relevant in Virginia. Yet now all of a sudden people are paying, maybe paying more attention, or at least the, the name or the brand is elevated in their eyes in, you know, uh, in the mid-Atlantic area and definitely in Virginia because the vast majority of their football staff played at BYU and started their coaching careers at BYU and had significant stops there. And now they're out there in the ACC in Virginia, in the mid Atlantic on the East coast, having success and, and bringing that great brand of football. That's so synonymous with BYU. They're spreading it abroad. And so that should be something I think all BYU fans and proponents of the program should want because it elevates the brand. If we stay self-contained, we can be great, but we're only great in our own little sphere. The more people that go on to do great things um, outside of BYU, they will always be part of the program, and it does nothing but elevate and expand. Amen. Ryan, Riley Nelson is with us on BYU Sports Nation. We're discussing the return of Bronco Mendenhall to BYU. Riley, one more question about Bronco and your relationship with him specifically before we move on to preparing for Virginia, and that is because you have – experienced uh, Bronco Mendenhall and his coaching style in a very unique way. You mentioned you're very close with him, closer than most. What's your favorite Bronco Mendenhall story that we may not have heard about? So I don't like, I smiled when you were asking that question. So I hope everybody knows, can appreciate the fondness with, with which I tell this story. It was fall camp. I believe it was 2011. We um, it, we were in the dog days of camp. It was right in the middle. I believe it was the first end of a two-a-day, and it was super hot. So as you can imagine, we got that summer madness going. And uh, the practice just didn't start off great. I mean, from, from the first crossover drills, like one-on-ones were normally the first, there was fighting and bickering and like we just – and offense and – we were just at that point where we were sick of each other, right? Well, we get into the first team session and a fight breaks out and while you know most coaches they do like fights because it it, you know it means guys are competitive and guys are heated i will admit that this fight probably wasn't more that way guys were just being moody right and fights one of the reasons why coaches don't like fights and bronco never loved them even though some coaches secretly love them is just they take away from practice time it's a it's a giant distraction It, it cuts a big hole it distracts everybody it's hard to get everybody back and gather anyway we have this fight and I'll never remember. So he sent us all and we all started having to run gassers, right? Which is the width of the field. You run down and back and it was just one after another, after another. And while we're running, I noticed on the other side of the practice field, he was having the managers move the cold tubs 
and he set these cold tubs up in a line that we had to uh, we had as part of our punishment we lined up and then we had to get in do an up down in the cold tub then get out do an up down on the grass and up down in the cold and he had to set up this succession of up downs in the cold <laughs> tub and that makes me laugh so much he was so mad at us he was trying to think how can i get through to these knuckleheads <laughs> and uh, so anyway it was not pre-planned that's my favorite part of it is like he sends us on gassers trying to think of like how can i get to these guys and so he has the manager set up the cold tubs and we did up downs and cold tubs for like the next half hour <laughs> let's uh, let's ask you our question of the day uh which side of the ball do you think has to have the bigger game in order to win offense or defense offense uh virginia's uh built like to me this is like uh it, it, uh, it's like a basketball matchup. Like when you get in the March Madness and you see those big 10 teams that have been playing games in the fifties all, all year, you know, play against like a BYU style that it's rare if they score less than 80 and one is run and shoot and get up and down the court. That's the style of football that Virginia plays, right? They're that run and shoot. They're scoring 80 every game. BYU is built a little bit more for like that big 10 pound the ball in the post win games, 53 to 48. You know, um, by the way, I mean a basketball score, 53 to 48, right? So in my opinion, the the defense will be okay um, because they've proven that they can, they have, you know, they're pretty decent at forcing teams to score below their average scoring output. But even if they keep Virginia below their scoring output, that's still, that's still a total somewhere in the thirties. And this offense has only scored in the thirties, I think once, maybe twice. I know South Florida. Yeah. And Utah State. Yeah, so only twice South Florida and Utah State is the only time they've got up into the 30s. So not against the P5 opponent. In my opinion, they're going to definitely need to get into the 30s, maybe even approach 40. So that's why I say the offense, because it's going to take a performance from them that we probably that I would say we haven't seen yet this year. Riley, why will a three-down lineman setup and scheme by necessity mostly because BYU's defensive line is so banged up? work against a program and a high-level quarterback like Brennan Armstrong? Yeah, well, so Brennan Armstrong is one. The dude is aggressive. He is He's always looking and always pushing down the field. And uh, I don't think um, anybody has forced him to have to can throw the check down, throw it to the flat, you know, run, scramble forward for four yards, scramble forward for six. And Virginia is not built to – march up to be that patient and that persistent and so uh this this defense will have success um well and and let me say this while he is exceptional he's yet to prove his ability to just take what the defense gives them gives him for four quarters most every college quarterback myself included when i played you get antsy and especially when you're used to picking up yards and chunks and putting points up on the scoreboard, you do something that's outside of character or it's off book. And then when they do that, this defense has proven that they're opportunistic. So um, the the one outlier to that is, you know, they've got this and I can't remember who's the big number 99 that they bring in. Uh, who's the tight end the quarterback now tight end now runs wildcat with him. Oh, I, I know um, who you're talking about. I can't recall his name, but I, I've seen the formation and the play. Yeah, right. Anyway, the the one thing they bring in this big guy, the this big former quarterback that runs Wildcat for him. Um, I honestly expect to combat that three down front. I expect to see a lot of that. That would be the one outlier there. But that said, Brendan Armstrong is their best player. So you're also not going to come into Provo and not 
you know, give your best player as many opportunities to be successful as possible. So against the traditional Brennan Armstrong that we've seen so far in this season, this defense will have success forcing him to do something which he hasn't, which is take what the defense gives for four straight quarters. Riley Nelson is with us on BYU Sports Nation. Keaton Thompson, is that who we're talking about? That is. Yeah, yeah it okay. is. He's, he's, he, he's uh, for all the listeners and everybody out there that's going to watch the game, he's a, a real, like, he's six six. He's built like an Adonis, and they use him in all sorts of, he'll line up his tight. He's honestly, he's like from, and this is the staff that coached Taysom, they use him like the Saints kind of use Taysom, mm. um, it, it, except he gets he gets a lot more snaps. But uh, it'll be interesting to me to see how the BYU defense handles that aspect of their offense. I think against Brennan Armstrong and, that, and those wide receivers, I think they'll do okay because they've been there before. Riley, it's great to talk with you. Always fantastic insight, especially into the Bronco Mendenhall situation and preparing for the X's and O's of BYU Virginia. We'll talk to you again soon, man. You bet, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Riley. Riley Nelson on BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. It is time for Top 5 Tuesday presented by Delta Airlines. And with Bronco Mendenhall making his return after a six-year absence from Lavelle Edwards Stadium, when he took the job of Virginia, it's time we look back on the top five plays for BYU all time against the Cavaliers. Start us off, Jerem. Number five, 1999, Kevin Federick avoids the sack, throws a 19-yard touchdown to Carlos Nuno, catches it off the deflection, part of a 21-0 comeback that fell just short for BYU in the fourth quarter. I remember going to this game, Thomas Jones ran wild on BYU, but this was a great play from Federick to Nuno. I should have seen this game in person. My older brother Trevor will never forgive me about it. Uh, what I, happened? I left him high and dry because of a girl. Oh, <laughs> shoot, man. Her name was Barbie, okay? Oh, wow. <laughs> Lots of comments there. Number four. <laughs> 2000. <laughs> BYU trailing 21 nothing just before the half. Rather, Owen Pochman kicks the game-winning 26-yard field goal in overtime when BYU had trailed 21 to nothing. Tyson Smith intercepted Dan Ellis in Virginia's overtime possession to set up the Cougars for that game-winning field goal. Hold up. 99 and 2000, BYU trailed Virginia 21 nothing. How about that? What the heck? At least they won the one on the road. Yes, they did. Ethan Pochman, Owen Pochman, rather, winning on and off the field. Number three, keeping it in the year 2000. Year 2000. Jonathan Pittman stays with it. Oh, Brett Ingram into Pittman. Awesome. Pittman had a few big catches Dude, that season. Jonathan Pittman's one of the most underrated ever. Uh, no word on it whether that was Malik Moore who dropped the inter. I kid. I kid. That was the moment the game changed for Virginia when they uh, let that interception get yep. away. Yep, because if, yeah, if they don't, it's going to be 28 nothing maybe. <laughs> At number two, into 2014. Barbie. Feast your eyes on this, a rarity for BYU football these days. Adam Hine takes the kick at the one-yard line, up the middle. He's running like people are chasing him, and they are. 99 yards, or was it 100 yards on the kickoff return? It was 180 yards, Spencer. 100 yards. Virginia had just cut BYU's lead to one possession, but Hine, well, he changed it in a really fast way. BYU wins 41-33. This is the last time BYU returned a kickoff for a touchdown. That was the last one. That's yep. the last That's one. That's the last one. And the top play versus Virginia from BYU. 
Same game, Taysom Hill, 15-yard touchdown. This was one of the greatest just in-your-face moments for Taysom Hill. Get Hung on me! No, eh, no, you got to tackle my legs. Come on, bro. Come on, man. Taysom Hill was really good in this game. BYU beat Virginia, part of a 4-0 start, ranked 19th, and then Taysom got hurt in that season uh, went down the drain. But, That's an NFL safety, by the way, that he is stiff-arming on his way to the end zone. How about that? Yeah. Nameless NFL safety. <laughs> Named, I think his name was Barbie. <laughs> Those are the top five plays against Virginia. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. As we push on to Deep Blue, we set it up with uh, really just the starkness of a DUI and Neil Powell when his life hit rock bottom. But he credits his coaches with helping him survive and certainly now thrive. This is Deep Blue featuring Neil Powell, presented by Brady Industries Simply Better. My childhood was pretty much centered around three things. It was God, family, education, and everything else kind of fell into place. We try to make sure the push family value at home. So they got to understand how important that is, especially in our culture. With football, it was it was a family event. I would prepare coolers of snacks and food on Friday night, gather everything, canopies, chairs, put it in the car. It, it kept us together. Understanding, you know, where I grew up, where I came from, knowing that it could be a way out in a sense. It's pretty much my wife for football. Some trouble in Provo tonight for a BYU football player. Spencer is here to tell us what's going on. Yeah, BYU, 10 weeks from tonight, will open the season against the University of Utah, their longtime rival in hopes of snapping an eight-game losing streak to the Utes. The Cougars do return a core of experience, but following a legal matter and statement from BYU police today, the Cougars may have to play without Neil Pau, one of the emerging wide receivers. I just remember waking up in a cell. It was cold. Uh, no pillow, no, no no blankets, nothing. Just waking up and being like, how the heck did I get here? I was at work, and as I was leaving, I was grabbing my bag, and then my phone just kept going and going, going off. And I sat back down, and I'm looking at it. It was the, the story about Neil DUI blowing up. I sat down, and I tried to gather myself. And in my head, I just said, Heavenly Father, calm me down. And the message I got was, Call your son and tell him you love him. It was so important to let Neil know that that we don't care about it, that we love him and care for him and, and everything. It, it doesn't affect us at, at all, that he knows that we're behind him 100% on, on, on everything. Everyone else was going off on him. He just needed somebody behind him. And he took care of it. He never worried us. He said, Mom, I got it handled. I'll take care of it. I am proud of him for stepping up and being a man and handling his business like a man and, and doing it all on his own. I think because of that, he knew his potential of what he can do. I've had those. I know other guys have had those moments in your life where you, you get knocked down and you only have one decision to make, and that's to get up. Because if you don't, you'll never see the light of day again. And that was, that was one of those moments for Neil. 
you know, we always preach to the players that you need this team more than we need you. And I think Neil really learned from that experience how much he needed to be a part of this team, be a part of this program. Soon after that happened, I took him to a Mothers Against Drunk Driving session. And um, I think it was a really cool moment for him to learn, but to, to realize other people's stories and to see how important it was for him to make really, really good decisions. And then um, to also give him a goal of a goal of what could be better, right? He's taken it and just ran with it. He's he's one of our best leaders on our team. I am so grateful for Kalani for taking a chance on Neil. When Neil had his DUI, I texted him and I said, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for everything that's happened." And he said to Bo, "I'm going to do everything I can to keep Neil with us." Anything that he needs, I will be here. And he never broke his promise. He was there for Neil the whole time. And I'm glad because, you know, people were saying, oh, leave, go to Utah, go to blah, blah, blah. But Neil didn't. He was committed to BYU because his coach had his back. Sometimes we can fail to humanize these guys. And we look at them as ways out for us, as just guys who are going to make us look good. And it was a lesson that, that that's not what it's about. It's about helping these guys, it's about being their friend, praising them when they're doing great, getting on them when they need to be picked up. We always talk about the Lord, first family, education. I felt like it has make our family better. And if I had to tell Neil something, stay focused on it. I felt like we have survived because of it, because we stay focused on those four things. And just to let Neil know I, I, I love him 24 hours. We love to see it. Neil Pau doing great things for BYU football now. His redemption path has been awesome. Good to see him bounce back because that was a tough day, right? But uh, he has, and that phone call from his mom is a powerful moment. Right? It's awesome. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Malik Moore had his team-leading third interception. If you ask him, he should have had four and five. <laughs> but really, yes. it would have only been... There was one two more. on the same drive, two on the so same you drive. can't have two. You exactly. have one. Yeah. Two more. He should have had four. Yeah. Uh, if you missed the interview with Malik Moore after the game, the I wish sideline. we had that video we could show you. Oh, wait, we do the interview with Malik Moore, who is interview gold. Enjoy this, Malik. Your team leading third interception today could have had a fourth, and I know you're going to play that in your mind again. Why was the defense overall successful today against a really talented passing offense at Washington State? Um, we was always running to the ball as pursuit drill, really. Um, everybody did they 111 once again, and then. Uh, when the ball was thrown, everybody was rallying to the tackles, and I think that was the most important thing was, you know, tackling and giving them as minimum yardage as possible. So, What changed mentally after a couple of losses? Because you got to break through a funk. How did you do that? Uh, it's practice harder. We had to change the energy up. The energy was way better this week in practice, and then we um, brought it to the game. So that's the most important thing was the energy and then um, our assignments and alignment. So. Your interception proved that BYU won the turnover battle today. Let's walk through that play. What happened on that interception early in the first half? Uh, so he was, 
I knew they were going to try to hit the seams because that's just what you know. A lot of that's a lot of weaknesses in some defenses. So and some defenses. So uh, he ended up overthrowing the ball, and then I kept running, tracking the ball down, and uh, caught it. Now your boys told me I had to ask you about the one you dropped. What happened on the dropped pick? Man, oh man! I think I was so worried about the well, the first drop. I like went like this, and it just came out of my hands. That was a drop, drop. Then the second one, I tried to catch it, and I was worried about that end zone. I wasn't even looking at the ball no more. I just caught it and hit my helmet, bounced off. So I'm sorry, Cougar Nation. It's not gonna happen again. Could have had four, but at least I got three. So it's all good. <laughs> The last time uh, I interviewed you on the road after a big win at Utah State, you told me you're going to get a pizza. Is this, is this like a game-by-game game thing? Are you going to get another pizza tonight? I ain't feeling pizza. I'm feeling like some Wingstop today. Some Wingstop. <laughs> I need Wingstop to sponsor me or something. <laughs> hey, if y'all watching this Wingstop, please hit your boy up. I want it. I go there every time. And five. No, no, no. Five guys. Two. I go there every day. Ask your employees at Orem by the Cinemark Mall. I promise you. Malik, before you go, uh, a sincere congratulations again. What has to happen for BYU to get better and get to win number seven against Virginia pushing forward? Man, energy. It's all about energy. Everybody is having fun, playing loose. Stop playing tight. Stop worrying about, you know, everything else going around you at home. When you're, at the when you're on the football field, you're on the football field. So uh, we got to bring the energy every week. So that's the most important thing. Malik Moore, your team leader in interceptions with three. Safe travels back to Provo. Thank you. Bye-bye. Name, Love image, it. likeness. Hit up your boy. <laughs> <laughs> he has such a great personality, He's fun. if you can't tell. Uh, and that that's uh, not an uncommon thing whenever you talk to him, whether it's in front of a camera or not. He just got such good energy. Okay, and this adds to his personality. He tweets out following the game. All right, put your can't-catch jokes down below. After today, not a word. <laughs> so get them all out now. Well, okay? trust me, they were flying without him. <laughs> I'll add one. Malik more, more like Malik less. I love Malik. I'm just playing. He's uh, great. I love that Pat Forty chimed in. BYU secondary has frying pans for hands out here dropping interceptions left and right. Oh, yikes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, let's read some of these. At Jay Dabbling. I'm ba I'm a balding 41-year-old sitting on my couch eating wings with a dad bod. I'm not saying a word. <laughs> uh, That's funny. At Holyoke B. Malik announcing new name image like this deal with Nestle Butterfingers in spectacular fashion yes, today. Yes, well done. Uh, at uh, <laughs> GJ McClintock, one third is still a Hall of Fame batting average. It's true. One for three. Those are jokes. Career. Those are coming to his defense twice. At Cam Cam George 87, <laughs> I think you might be first on the top 10 and not top 10. Nice. JK, mate, keep up the good work. Uh, at Eric Jacobson 14. I mean, if you could catch, you'd be a receiver, right? <laughs> now, Malik told me last week on Monday in the film room, he said, I played receiver in high school, so I feel like I have hands. So that's why at Utah State, when he makes that acrobatic catch, he talked about how with his left hand, he would practice picking up the ball just like arm and yeah. finger strength. He's He's got like... He should have had one of those two. Sure. Like the, the second one especially. Those were bad. The second like, one especially. Mal Malik's too good. At, he's such a good player that we can pick on him because we expect him to make that play. Wasn't why like he had fourth string safety out there and we're like, who was that? Why didn't he catch it? No, Malik already had a pick in the game, so that helps you feel a little bit better about that, which he got, you know, three extra yards if he doesn't kneel it, you know. This this one against Utah State is the second best play of the year. That's the second best play of the year. It's an incredible interception. The first is obvious. Malik Moore with three interceptions 
and yes, should have been four. But like you said, my eyes got big. I was worried about the end zone. He's staring at the end zone before he caught the ball. Yes. That would have been BYU plus two in the game, by the way, yeah. which would have been good. Now, I can't remember. Did Washington State score in that drive or no? I don't remember. No. They had okay, to so punt. It was whatever. a third down when he dropped the second when he dropped opportunity, it. so they punted. Well, that's like on a Hail Mary or whatever. Or a fourth down where you like bat it down because you weren't gonna like run back right. those yards anyway. Where that's a smart play. Third down, maybe maybe it was a business decision. Uh, well, I no, love that Neil Powell said, "Look, it's just universal. Defensive backs can't catch." <laughs> <laughs> that's just mean. And linebackers can't run. Not Tyler Algier. <laughs> that wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.